Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. ask you to fill us today thank you for being here for your word that's been come forth already and just for the, your, your presence and your just for being here in our midst we're grateful help us to never take it for granted but to always be grateful for the moments where you grace us with your presence God we thank you in Jesus name said we are in a we've been you know again our theme is renew and uh, we started off the year talking about our minds renewing our minds we spent extensive time looking at Romans 12 chapter 2 we will revisit that throughout the rest of this year but renewal is more than just our minds it's our spirits it's our bodies which I don't think I'm going to preach a sermon on renewing our bodies because I'm not (laughs) not ready for that yet Um, but anyway it is a renewal of us Spirit, soul, and body. That's who we are. That's what God has created us in three, you know, our threefold manner. And, and, and renewal is not just one part of it. And so we've spent the last few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, saying that the Holy Spirit is, is, is the second part of this renewal coin. Because if all we do is focus on the mental renewal and renewing our thoughts and changing, that'll bring some short-term change without the power and relationship with the Holy Spirit guiding us down this path, then we often end up right back where we started all over again. It's a never-ending battle. And so we need both. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need relationship with the Holy Spirit to help us. And, and we also need to do the hard work of renewing our minds. We can't get so addicted to moments where we feel and sense the presence of the Lord tangibly and physically that we forget that when we walk out of here, there's work to do. We become shallow that way. We'll be shallow Christians. So it's two sides of the same coin. It's relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's the hard work of renewing our mind. All right, so let me give a quick review. We said that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not just a spiritual force. He's a person to have a relationship with, not a power to obtain, although we know that the Holy Spirit does bring power. We spent time debunking some of the stereotypes that come up when people talk about being Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled, whatever. We compared these stereotypes to what Scripture actually says about the Holy Spirit. And we discovered that the person of the Holy Spirit isn't someone to be afraid of. Jesus Use language like this in the book of John to describe him. He's our comforter, our helper, our counselor, our advocate, our attorney, our intercessor, our teacher, our peace, our truth. He's our guide. He's our friend. He's our confidant. So he's someone to have a relationship with, not someone to be afraid of. And we introduced the concept last week of three baptisms, salvation, water, and spirit. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back. It's very, it's a very, this is a great teaching on, 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 on how we progress spiritually. We talked about how this, this is the pattern in the New Testament, and I gave you some verses to go home and look at in regard to this concept. Anybody reading about this other than Sunday mornings? 
And many of you have heard people say the why behind the what. Anybody heard that? Meaning that people are more likely to get involved in something if they understand the why behind it. Um, a few years ago, we took up a special offering after Hurricane Dorian. Do you guys remember, you guys that have been here for a while, we took up Hurricane Dorian, came, wiped off the Bahamas, it's off the map. It was just, an, just a crazy situation. And so our church was even smaller than it is now. We were able to give $5,000 to Hurricane Relief which at that time was the single largest offering that we'd ever given away. But we all knew the why behind the what. And leading up to that, if I had just said, hey, next Sunday, let's have the biggest offering we've ever had. How's that sound? Okay. <laughs> That's probably what the response would have been. Let's do something significant, blah, blah, blah. And then we'd take up the offering. It probably wouldn't have been that great. But because there was a unified why... We all came together and we were able to give, again, the single largest offering that we'd ever given away up until that time. Now, so far in this series, we spent a lot of time talking about who, which is the Holy Spirit. And we've tried to answer that question, who is the Holy Spirit? And so for that perspective, it's not been so much the why behind the what, but the who behind the what. And we briefly discussed some of the why. We asked this question every week. Why wouldn't we want a relationship with someone so amazing? Someone sent to be our helper and our guide. And all the things we've listed earlier, our counselor, our, our advocate. See, the Holy Spirit brings so much value to us as Christ followers. Why wouldn't we want a relationship with him? Not to mention the fact that we know that he's a promise and a gift from the Father. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. He will never give us something that is not good for us. So we've talked about the who behind the what. Today I want to go a little deeper into the why behind the who. The why behind the Holy Spirit. So let's jump back into some scripture in Luke chapter 24. And we've read some of these scriptures over the last few weeks, but we're going to hit them from a different perspective. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Again, there's the language. The Holy Spirit is a promise. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What was the promise? It's okay to talk about. What was the promise? The Holy Spirit. He told them to do what? Stay. He said, stay until they were, he said, stay until they were clothed with power from on high. Now we're going to read a parallel kind of version of that from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about the, all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. What was the gift? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this pretty extensively the last two weeks. All right, verse 6. Then they all gathered him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And I've shared this part, this this example before this, this uh, analogy. I, I every year on their birthday, I write my kids a letter. And I used to do a long Facebook post. But several years ago, I stopped doing that and I started writing them personal letter, handwritten. And in that letter, I tell them how proud I am of them, how much I love them. I apologize if I've done anything unintentionally to hurt them, because sometimes you do. You say things, you do things, you don't realize that you've hurt them. And I always want to have an open relationship with my kids where I'm like, hey, if I've hurt you, if I've said something, and I've confessed, you know, a few weeks ago I was blubbering like a baby because I said something I shouldn't have said to my daughter. It wasn't even harsh. It just made me feel like, ugh, yucky. And anyway, if you weren't here for that, you're probably like, what are you talking about? Anyway, so we, I write this letter, and I encourage them in it to always seek Jesus and to put God first in their lives. Now listen, my kids aren't winning the top 10 sentimental kid award, right? They're not, you know, I'm emotional. I cry over everything. I cry for Hallmark commercials, Publix commercials. Anybody else cry for Publix commercials? One time I got choked up watching an episode of Saved by the Bell. I I don't remember what happened. It was like a reunion show and Zach came in. I was like, Katie and I used to joke that I was the woman in the relationship because I was so emotional and she's not, not that emotional. Aubrey made so much fun of me one time when we were at a movie watching Disney's Inside Out. Anybody seen Inside Out? We were at the theater and it got to this point and it was, you know, it wasn't even a sad moment. It was just emotional. I was, you know, like I get choked up a lot, but I was full on shaking the road. It's <laughs> like, is that movie sad? No, it wasn't sad at all. I just, you know, to clarify, Aubrey is more sentimental than Adrian. Uh, she's a little more, although Adrian, I can see him starting to, he's getting... He's rolling. He's. <clears throat> I said this before. You know, the first movie Adrian ever cried in was in 2019 Avengers Endgame. <laughs> R.I.P. Iron Man. Uh, yeah, that was a sad moment. I don't think he cried again until this year uh, when Spider-Man came out, No Way Home. <laughs> Anybody seen that movie? Well, that's the greatest. That's the greatest Marvel movie of all time. If you don't cry during that movie, there's something wrong with you. You need to get saved. Uh, anyway, all right. So that'll give you some reference point of how sentimental they are. But listen, I'm not writing the letter. I am writing it for now, but not so much for now. I'm writing it for later because I'm still here. Right? They can call me. They can text me. They can come and see me. They can ask me questions. But one day I'm going to be gone. And it's at that moment in the middle of a hard time that I hope Aiden probably doesn't even know where his letters are. <laughs> it's in that moment that I hope they pull out those letters and they read them and they hear my voice encouraging them and speaking truth over their life and love and telling them how proud they are because I won't be gone. Those will be the last words that I share with them. That'll be the words that last. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? I want to circle back to what we just read. Let's take a look at the, these are the last words that Jesus ever spoke on earth. On one occasion while I was eating with them, he gave them this command to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. 
And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. These are the last recorded words of Jesus before he left this earth. Of all of the things that he could have said to them, he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Look, our last words are very important. If you're going on a trip and you're leaving your kids or your pet with someone to watch while you're gone or to care for, what are the last things you say? The most important things. He eats, she eats at this time. It's this kind of food. It's this much food. Give them this medicine and this much of it if they get sick or whatever. Someone's laying on your deathbed and some of you have walked through difficult moments where you've A loved one has passed away right when you were there. Others of us at least are familiar with it, either through movies or stories from friends or whatever. But on your deathbed, you're saying the most important things that you're going to say. I love you. You're going to be okay. Always trust in God. Take care of the family. In our last moments, we're not trying to catch up on the latest episode of our favorite shows. We're sharing something of value. We're sharing something of the utmost importance. And such was the case of Jesus. His last, recorded word, his last recorded words weren't happenstance. They were intentional. He could have said anything else. It's been real. It's been fun. But it's not been real fun. I was... If you knew around here, my catchphrase at the end of the service is peace out, Girl Scouts. And it would have been awesome if Jesus said that when he was leaving. Peace out, Girl Scouts. He could have said anything, but what he said was, wait for the Holy Spirit. The second thing we notice in this passage of Scripture is this. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but in verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Now listen, if there was ever anyone who was qualified to do the work of the ministry, it would have been these 12 disciples. They physically walked, talked, ate, and stayed with Jesus. Their relationship was a physical 24-7 relationship. They were there when the miraculous happened. They were standing there when Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, got out of the tomb, just walked out alive. They were there when... When Pastor David was sharing, when they, when they had five loaves and two fish and it miraculously multiplied and fed over 5,000 people. They had hands-on coaching, mentoring, and development, and development with the creator of the universe. In Matthew chapter 10, we read where Jesus sent the disciples out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to raise the dead. The disciples already had on-the-job training. They had not only seen the miraculous, but they had participated in the miraculous themselves. And yet Jesus commanded them to wait for the gift, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, what would make us think that we're more qualified than the ones who walked with Jesus in the flesh? That brings me to point number one. There's only two points. If the disciples needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? I'm going to read. Last, last week we talked, we compared Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's not a whole lot of things that are in all three. We know Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They're somewhat synonymous. You can read stories parallel, get different perspectives from each of those. But John's is from a little different perspective. And this is another area, this is one of the other things that is listed in all four. All right, in Matthew chapter 3, it says, As Jesus, as soon as Jesus was baptized, this is verse 16, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and the voice of heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. 
And then in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. All right. Luke chapter 3, when all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so a thought, of Joseph. Now, John chapter 1. Then John gave this testimony. Sorry if this seems repetitive, but it's important. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And we already talked about last week the symbolism of being water baptized. And part of the reason that we are baptized in water is we're following the example of Jesus. Clearly, Jesus was water baptized. And so some of the rationale is if Jesus was water baptized, I should be also. But let me point out some things in this passage that may or may not be obvious. One, we see the Trinity in all three of these passages. The Son is physically being baptized. The Spirit is descending like a dove. And the Father is speaking audibly about His Son, saying, This is my Son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Number two, and this is very significant, Jesus is about 30 years old. Right after this event, Jesus begins his public ministry. He begins preaching, healing the sick, and casting out demons. But this was more than just a water baptism. What else happened in these verses of Scripture? The Holy Spirit came down. And all four of these Accounts of what happened to Jesus, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. The words in John are very significant, and I want you to pay attention to this. John chapter 132, going back, and then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, look at these words, and remain on him. And I myself did not know, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized in water. And we say, hey, I need to follow his example. But he was also baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice the words, the Spirit came down and it remained on him. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit hadn't remained on anyone. He would descend and empower people for certain tasks, certain periods of time, but didn't remain until Jesus. We read in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God came upon David. We read how the Spirit of God came upon King Saul and he prophesied. He came upon Samson and he did warfare against God's enemies. He came upon Elijah and Elijah outrun on foot King Ahab who was in a chariot and had a horse pulling him. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he prophesied. But not we don't read until Jesus that the Holy Spirit came down and remained. And you might be asking, are you saying Jesus couldn't have done miracles without being baptized in or with the Holy Spirit? I don't know if he could or couldn't. I'm just telling you that he didn't. 
He's baptized in water. The spirit comes down and remains on him. And that's when he starts his ministry after he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He did no miracles that we have record of up until that point. Maybe you're thinking he was God. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Let's take a look at the words of Paul in the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, he said, Who, although he existed in the form of God, he's talking about Jesus, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at these, these words. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What's Paul talking about? Jesus was fully God, but he didn't live his life accessing his Godhood. He emptied himself of all of his rights and privileges as God, and he lived his life as a man. That's why Hebrews tells us that we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses because Jesus lived his life as a man. Am I saying Jesus had weaknesses? Yes, because he lived his life as a man. He got tired. He got hungry. He got sad. He got mad. He was tempted to sin. So what does, this, all this, what does all this mean? Jesus lived his life as a man, not as God. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he was sent to do. Jesus didn't perform one miracle until after the Holy Spirit descended and remained on him. And we look at the life of Jesus and say, I need to follow his example in water baptism. But we also need to look at the life of Jesus and say, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do we. There's three baptisms, salvation, water, and spirit. We looked at that last week. I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast or YouTube and check that out. We must be willing, willing to follow the example of Jesus himself. Jesus didn't need salvation. He was salvation. We need salvation. He was salvation. No one comes to the Father except you can't come through. Him. He's the door. He's the way. Jesus is the way. He experienced water baptism. He experienced spirit baptism when the dove descended and, or the spirit descended and remained. If the ones who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and lived with Jesus were personally trained and mentored by Jesus himself, if the disciples needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? Amen. And don't forget it wasn't optional for them. Jesus didn't suggest it. He didn't recommend it. He didn't say, if I were you, I'd go and wait. Wait till the spirit comes. Things are going to get rough after I leave. You're all going to die. Peter, you're going to be hung upside down. You know, some of you are going to get thrown off the temple. Some of you are going to get stabbed. Some of you are going to get beaten. I would recommend, if I were you, this is what, it's not, it wasn't optional. He gave them a command. Don't do anything else. Go and wait for the gift. So the two points, if the disciples needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? Two, if Jesus needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? So the logical question becomes, well, how do I receive this gift? This promise that Jesus talked about. We find the answer in Luke chapter 11. And we read this passage several weeks ago. It's the passage where a friend goes to a neighbor in the middle of the night and asks for food because he's had unexpected guests. But if you'll remember, Jesus told this story in response to the question that the, the disciples were asking him. He said, teach us to pray. So the subject matter of this passage is about talking to our Heavenly Father. It's about prayer. And in Luke 11, verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. We've 
you know, we quote this all the time. It's, it's ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Now look at this language in verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen. Everyone who asks receives. And then he goes on. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father or your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. Are you saying that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, all I have to do is ask? No, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. And then we to come, we're going to specifically look at these verses where the Holy Spirit was poured out. Right, we're going to talk about the day of Pentecost and the subsequent instances where people receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about tongues and prophecy and those things that are recorded in Scripture. Because I understand if, if you didn't grow up in some kind of background where that was normal, it can, you know, that's why we started this series off talking about the misconceptions. Because we've all seen it. We've all seen misuses, abuses, and craziness. And you're like, ah, if that's the Holy Spirit, I'm not interested. I, I see it all the time. You see stuff on TV or wherever, and you're like, no thanks. And stop giving the people like us a bad name. Stop doing that. But today, what I want to focus on are those two points. If the disciples needed it, so do we. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? So how do you receive it? You receive it by faith. See, some of you are going to pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have done that and you felt something. Others have prayed or will pray and feel nothing. But to be honest, in the faith side of things, it's just like salvation. Some people get saved or born again, and they cry and they cry. You've seen that before. Or they laugh. They get overwhelmed with the love, and they're just hugging everybody. Crying, hugging. You're like, bro, back up. <laughs> Others feel nothing. Have you guys seen or experienced that yourself? The scripture tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight or our feelings. And so some might ask, and, and we, we said last week that the, the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit is the third baptism. How do I know if I've been baptized in or with the Holy Spirit? To which I would respond, how do you know that you've been born again or saved? How do you know? It's by faith. Anybody ever woke up and not felt saved? Nobody. Wow. <laughs> I know that you're just not lifting your hands. There are people in here. You woke up one morning. You're like, I don't know if I feel saved. Anybody ever kicked a dog and you didn't feel saved? <laughs> I don't have a dog. Anybody ever kick your kids and you didn't feel saved? <laughs> I'm going to stop with the analogies because we have police officers in here. People get arrested. Anybody ever kick... How do you know you're saved? How do you know you've been born again? But what if you don't feel it? <laughs> it's faith. Faith is the currency of Christianity. Amen. Salvation, healing, baptism in the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, etc. It all happens by grace through faith. 
by grace, meaning we don't deserve it and we can't earn it. And it's not based on anything we can do. It's all based on what Jesus did on the cross. And by faith, meaning we believe it, even if we don't see it or can't see it and don't feel it. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask Jesus to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Remember last week we read that Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and fire. We talked about that extensively last week. It's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ. We read that in Corinthians. But the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father, and Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And we read in the book of Acts that when people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they spoke in other tongues. And again, we're going to address this more deeply in, another, in a later message. But for too long, Pentecostal people have been guilty of pursuing the gifts of the Spirit not realizing that the Spirit Himself was the gift. Jesus said you'll receive power, but up until that point, He doesn't reference anything other than wait for the gift, wait for the promise. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The relationship with Him is the gift. Remember the quote from Robert Morris, missing out on the gifts of the Spirit is unfortunate. However, missing out on His friendship is tragic. I truly believe that if we'll begin to pursue relationship with the Holy Spirit, that his gifts, they'll take care of themselves. That's part of, partly why we sing that song. I just want you, nothing else. I'm sorry for the times I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. I'm sorry when all I was pursuing was my own selfish. I just want you. I've been listening to a worship artist named James Wilson. We were going to be learning some of his material, but he's got a song that's called If You Never Do Anything Else. And she says, If you've never done anything else, you've already done enough. I love those lyrics. And if you've been around a while, I think you know, I mean, one of our core values as a church, stated core values, is being spirit-led. That doesn't just mean being in the service, being spirit-led, where we get off the script and sing a new song to the Lord, which is scriptural, and that's part of being spirit-led. But it's also us in our daily lives allowing the Spirit of God to lead us in everything that we do. And we can't do that without relationship with Him. We need relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I love those moments. And unless the Lord were to lead us otherwise, I don't think that He will. We're probably never going to step away from those moments where we get out of the song, we're singing a new song, or we're having spontaneous worship, or... And we know that the Lord has good things for us in store. We know that he told us to pray 
that we'd be healed if we're sick. And we know that deliverance is available and breakthrough is available. And we do pursue those things because it's scriptural. But we never pursue them above the gift giver. And so while experiencing his gifts is important, neglecting the relationship with him, as Pastor Robert Moore says, is tragic. If all we do is have a moment in this, in this place, and we never experience the presence of the Holy Spirit anywhere else, that's a problem. You know, Katie and I, several months ago, began trying to do an intentional Sabbath. It's really been revolutionary for our lives, and at some point this year, we are going to talk about, do a series on that. We just got so busy through Easter and the events and the outreaches and the things that were going on. We were still taking the day off, but we'd gotten away from intentional Sabbath. Where before we were coming together as a family and lighting a candle and praying with the boys and, you know, like, this is it for the next 24 hours. We're just going to do things that bring us the light and bring us recreation. Maybe it's take a nap. Maybe it's go to the woods and take a walk or hike, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, we're doing things intentionally. But it's with this... It's with this, this, this awareness that God is there. And so we've gotten, we still were taking the time, but we'd stepped away from the awareness. And the reason I'm saying that is because as we pursue the Holy Spirit, when we come into this environment, it's easy to acknowledge, oh, God, I sense something. I feel it. It's, and some of it's our emotions. I get that. Music is emotional. It plays with your emotions. I never want to negate the fact that people can be moved emotionally just because of an instrument. But I want you to know from my heart, we'll never do that intentionally. I'm never going to get up there and go, uh, I think I can make them cry if I play these chords together. When people do that stuff like that, I, I understand that that's emotional, but I never want to get to a moment where we only are acknowledging here and then out there we've forgotten, where there's no awareness that he is omnipresent, that he's everywhere. You know, Katie and I have been talking, like, we got we to go back to this place of, of, of having intentional Sabbath, not just this extra day off and time that we're, you know, yesterday would have been our Sabbath. I can't do it on Sunday because I'm working. This is, you know, you're worshiping. This could be your Sabbath, but it can't be mine because I'm working for half the day. Anyway, so yesterday I was grilling some turkey burgers on the grill. They didn't turn out great. You know, I got this little space. I got my, I call it my garfus. It's my office. That's a garage. It's separated from the house. And then I have the house. And it's just a short, you know, five foot pathway. And nobody can see me back there. But I just took a moment by myself. I lifted up my hands with the grill going. I was just like, God, thank you. I was looking up and I could see the sky was blue and the clouds and the sun. It's just like this moment where I'm being intentional about be, you know, being aware of who and where God is. Thank you, Jesus. And so... What I'm saying and how I'm relating that to the Holy Spirit is the relationship with him. If all we're doing is pursuing the moment that's here, if all we're doing is pursuing the healing, if all we're doing is pursuing the gift and the church of God, the assemblies of God, the, the Pentecostal doctrine, stated doctrines would, would say that you must speak in tongues. That's the, that's the evidence of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm certainly not going to get on some kind of soapbox and try to debate with theologians and theology that goes back hundreds of years and people that are way smarter than I am. But I can tell you from life experience, I've seen too many people speaking in tongues in here and talking like the devil and acting like fools outside. And I'm not interested in people going, oh, I'm filled with the spirit. And I go to a Pentecostal church and I'm charismatic and I felt God and God was in the room. And then we leave and we act like the devil. It came too harsh, didn't it? Sorry about that. (laughs) So I'm not saying that speaking in tongues is not an evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I am saying it shouldn't be the only one. What did Paul say in Corinthians 13? Speak in tongues of angels if you want. If you don't have love in your life, you're like a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And what you're doing is meaningless. I'm so far off my notes. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I'm saying that I want us to pursue relationship and not just the gifts. And I know that there are people in here because people have talked to me. People have, you know, like, hey, I got to ask you questions about whatever, you know, not whatever, but I got to ask you questions about the Holy Spirit. And there, and there could be confusion because of the way things have been presented in the past. I'm telling you that in Luke chapter 9, or Luke chapter 11, in verse 9 through 13, Jesus said, Ask, and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. But because we've been taught, if you don't flop like a fish or speak in tongues immediately, that you weren't filled. And I think that brings discouragement to people. Amen. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to debate our spiritual coverings. I'm not trying to debate hundreds of years of theology. I'm just saying that we've got to be open to God doing what he wants to do. Amen. And there has to be a moment where Maybe, the, maybe your initial evidence is you stop cursing. Maybe your initial evidence is you go home and you're like, I don't want to kick the dog today. <laughs> you know, I share my struggles openly. You know, those that have been here a while, you heard my frying pan story where I, I threw a hot frying pan out the front door because it kept sticking You know, maybe the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life is not throwing hot hot pans out the front door. There's grease going everywhere. (laughs) I love any lyrics, you know, that say that, talking about seeking the giver, not the gift. I have no idea what song that was growing up, but we sing it all the time. And we just said, I seek the giver, not the gift. And it's easy to say and hard to do because we all like gifts. And I want to feel good. And I'd rather leave going, wow, we had church. I felt Jesus. Man, I, you know, that's, I love that. But it's not bringing life change to us if we're not renewing our minds outside and, we're not, and we lose our reference point for our awareness of where God is in the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, I'm going to stop rambling. If the disciples needed the Holy Spirit and it was a command for them, how much more do we? If Jesus didn't do any ministry at all until the Spirit descended on him and remained, how much more? Do we need the Holy Spirit in our lives? Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask, Adrian, you can come play. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, for everyone, for, I'm sorry, for everyone who asks, receives. 
Go to C or go to A minor. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's ask Him. Would you stand on your feet just for a couple of moments? Just as we close this service out, we're going to sing the song again, Fill Me Up, God. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. This doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, prolonged show of whatever. And again, sometimes we have people come forward and we pray for people. We might do that in a minute. I don't know. Sometimes we just pray in our seat. But I think one of the greatest things we can do is posture our heart and genuinely look to the Father and ask Him to fill our lives. No matter where you are, maybe you've experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've experienced that third baptism. Listen, there's always more of God. If we ever think that we've, we, have, we have all that there is to have of God, man, we've, we're way off track. So maybe you've already experienced that. This is a moment to cry out to him and say, fill me up, God, because I want more of you. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, that third baptism. Maybe you're like what we read last week when Paul showed up and he's like, hey, when you believed, what baptism? He say, or he said, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, the Holy Spirit, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. What does that, what does that mean? And he prayed for the believers who were already believers and they had another experience where they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in that camp, right? You've been saved or born again as Jesus describes in John chapter 3. You've been water baptized out of obedience and watching Jesus, but you didn't know that Jesus also received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Or you didn't know that there was something beyond that. This is a moment for us to throw up our hands as well and say, fill me up, God. Maybe you're in the room and you don't know Jesus at all or you've walked away from him. What better moment to surrender our lives once again to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, to repent of our sin and ask him to fill us. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? And if you're comfortable, would you lift your hands? And I promise not to prolong this, but I just want us to sing this song together. Father, that the Father would fill us or give us the Holy Spirit.
You are the giver of good gifts. We ask you to fill us. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.